0: and welcome to the City Grace podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. I realized that as I studied the Bible and what it has to say about raising kids and and bringing up children, I realized that there are a lot of things not said in the Bible about raising kids that I really, really wish were there in the Bible. I wish that the Bible told us that parents always get to be there for their kids. But the fact of the matter is, we just don't, right? Um, I wish that the Bible said that parents get to control their kids' choices as they get older. And my parents, if they were here, would say a hearty amen to that. Um, But in fact, the Bible says that kids are kind of like arrows in, in the father's quiver. And you know with an arrow that you take that arrow out and you string it in that bow and then you pull it back. But then there comes that moment where you just, you let that arrow fly. And once that arrow flies, I mean, you aimed it, right? You put the potential in there, but once you let, once you let go with those fingers, that arrow is often flying on its own. And so, I know this is certainly true for every parent. It's certainly true for me um, and Chelsea as parents, that my kids are going to live their own lives. My kids are going to make their own decisions, make their own choices. And, and your kids are going to make their own decisions and their own choices. Your kids will decide whether they'll vote for somebody like Donald Trump in the next election. Your kids will decide whether they're going to be Republicans or Democrats or or go to college to get an eight-year degree in ornamental basket weaving. Like, your your kids will make that choice. Your kids will choose between Coke and Pepsi. Everybody knows that Dr. Pepper's the real right choice. Can I get an amen? Uh, uh, (laughs) Yeah. Caleb will get to choose who he marries one day. JL will not. But uh, <laughs> you know, but I, I just I, I wish that God had designed it differently. I wish that I could make every right decision for my kids. And I can't. And honestly, I've made so many wrong decisions in my life that I'm not sure I trust myself. But in looking through the Bible, I'm left painfully aware of one very huge fact concerning parenting, and that's this simple thing, that a parent's time and influence are far more limited than we wish they were. That God has created each and every human, each and every soul with this this powerful and wonderful but really fearful capacity to choose our own destiny. And and every single one of our kids, um, down through their lives, they're going to stand at multiple crossroads in life. And at each one of those crossroads, crossroads, they, not, uh, not us, not we, they will make just, I mean, huge decisions that will greatly impact their future. And looking through the Bible, I want so badly to find some kind of magical formula to share with them, or better yet, just kind of control life for them. I wish I could guarantee that there will never be a hurt or disappointment in their life, but it's just not in there. It's just not to be found. I... I wish I could make life so that they never experience the pain of regret, and, and, and I just can't. You can't. We can't as parents, and, and we don't even want our kids, honestly, and when they're younger, we don't even want our kids to get hurt riding their bikes, right? And when I was a kid, used to ride my bike, and, and nobody wore a helmet when we were riding our bikes. Nobody. It's why I am like I am, because... <laughs> Fell too many times, but nobody, you know, made their kid ride uh, wear a helmet when they rode a bike. And nowadays, we make kids wear helmets to the dinner table. I mean, we're just we're trying to protect our kids as much as we can. We're trying to protect our kids from everything. And and when they're little, you know, we buy helmets and elbow pads and gloves and knee pads and training wheels, and then we tell them go ride your bike. It's like they can't even walk to the bike. They're just like you know. Can't even bend their knees or elbows to get on the bike, but we want to, to kind of keep them from all of that pain, keep them from all of those scrapes and bumps and bruises and all of that. The old philosophy was, this is the, the, the philosophy that my parents subscribed to, was you need to toughen your kids up, which is why one time when my brother fell off his skateboard and landed on his elbow, and it was hurting him really bad, and he couldn't really move it that much. That night, My dad took us to Scandia to the batting cages. Yeah, on purpose that night. He put Jason in that batting cage, gave him a bat, started the pitching machine, said, Swing that bat. Jason said, I can't, I can't swing it. My dad said, Swing that bat. Jason said, I can't, I can't. My dad said, Swing that bat. And he called him. No, he didn't call him names. He didn't really. And then he finally pulled Jason out, and just you know, was trying to. You got to be tough, son. You got to push through the pain, son. And so it was a big surprise to all of us when Jason went to the doctor later on and found out he had fractured his elbow. But <laughs> swing that bat. But that's the old way of doing things. Toughen those kids up, right? But I mean, you know, we 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 want to nowadays, and, and not just. Nowadays, it's always that you just you want to keep your kids from being hurt. But I think you know maybe my dad's generation was a little more aware, and maybe our generation could do or could gain a little something from this. That that we can't protect our kids from every hurt, we can't protect them from every pain. You know, we want to, and and sure, the serious injuries we want to protect them from. But what's the spiritual equivalent of a bike helmet? What's the life equivalent of elbow pads and knee pads? And there's no guarantee anywhere that your kids are going to get through life unscathed, not even in the Bible. The closest thing I can find in the Bible is to train up a child on the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. But there's the beginning and there's the ending, but there's no guarantees for the middle. There's nothing there. And when they come back, it doesn't even say that it won't be a hurt that brings them back to God. So you can't keep your kids from hurt. You can't keep your kids from pain and disappointments. And so we feel so helpless sometimes. And I've got two teenagers now. I feel desperate at times. Like, God, why can't I control some things for them? God, how do I keep them from some dangers? And, and, and really, you know, there, there, there is no way to do that. And we see that all the way back from the very beginning when God, I mean, if you go back to the beginning of creation, the creation account and, and what we call the book of Genesis, when God created man and woman and put them in the garden, we, we find out that we as humans are created with the powerful potential of choice. And God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And it's like you can almost hear his father's voice, you know, kind of like here goes everything. And God breathed life into Adam. And I love the way the King James Version puts it, the old English. It says, and man became a living soul. And every soul, every soul, Every one of our souls has the capacity to choose good and evil. Your kids and my kids choose on their own good or evil. So do the the people that they will one day love and invite into their lives. Those people also choose on their own good and evil. Every single soul has that powerful potential of choice to choose good or evil or evil. And so for parents, it's a lot like that day that I taught J.L. to ride a bike, or one of the days I was teaching her to ride a bike, where you're kind of holding on to the seat and, and pushing her down the street. And and maybe, you know, she realized, or maybe you realize at first, but just at some point you realize that my hand's there, but I'm not pushing the bike anymore. I'm not keeping her upright anymore. She's riding on her own. And and in life, it's, it's, it's the same way. You try and give your, your kids guidance. You try and teach them to do right. You try and and help them out. But one day you realize that it's not you anymore. It's them. It's them. But there is something that we parents do pass on to our kids. There is a help that we can give our kids. And and it's the closest thing that I can find to kind of, you know, Maybe elbow pads and a helmet, you know, in the Bible. But it's far, far from a guarantee, and it's something that I didn't realize till later in my life that, that my dad had given to me. I don't think he realized that he had given it to me. But and maybe without hearing this message this morning, none of us really think about what we pass on to our kids. But I'm hoping for all of the parents and all of the families that are here this morning to dedicate your children. I I, I hope that if you can feel the weight of this, the gravity. Of this thing that I'm about to share with you this morning that we give to our kids, that this will help us make the most out of every single moment that we have as parents. Maybe it will help us approach these 18 short years with a little more intentionality in, in what we say and what we do with our kids. And I'd just be over the moon if it, if it influences how we spend the time that we spend with our kids. Because it turns out that it may be that the greatest gift you could give your children is a godly conscience the greatest gift that you could give your children is a godly conscience. Because one day, like that arrow, one day, like teaching them how to ride a bike, you are going to take your hand off the back of that. You are going to launch your child into their future. And the day that they realize that you are no longer holding on, the moment that they realize that the momentum and the balance of navigating life is completely under their own power and their own control within their hearts and within their minds will be the echoes of your voice. In that moment, when they realize that they're on their own, your life and your words and your decisions and your behaviors and your attitude and your character and, and all that you are and all that you have been or have not been as parents is going to begin to resonate and echo in their, their souls, in their hearts, in their minds. Your voice will be the voice of their conscience. And your life is either going to haunt them or help them navigate much of their adult life. And every person has a conscience. We all have a conscience. Every one of us has a voice on the inside, right? In the old television programs, it was, you know, the two angels sitting on the shoulder. It's the good angel and and the bad angel, right? And it just makes sense that we all have a moral conscience, that God is a a moral being and we are created in the image of God. So it makes sense that we kind of find ourselves making moral judgments as we navigate life. And and we judge things, and all of us know this, right? We judge things outside of ourselves. We judge people outside of ourselves. We judge choices that are made outside of ourselves all the time, right? Anybody ever judge anyone? like three of y'all, three people need to repent. The rest of us are good, right? Nobody else, all the rest of us, we're, we're all good, right? And you, you see somebody about to do something, you're just thinking, man, this, that, that's going to leave a mark. Like, you know, you just, you see her making a relationship decision. You see him making a career decision. You're like, well, that's going to leave a mark, right? And, and, and so it just makes sense that there would be a voice outside of ourselves, that would kind of look at our own behaviors and look at our own actions and and, and decisions. And that would be the voice that somehow, although it exists outside of ourselves, looking down on our lives as kind of this, well, not disinterest, but this kind of third-party observer, this voice somehow has access to the inside of our heads. And we have this conscience, we have this voice that tells us that's going to leave a mark, or that left a mark, right? And, and our conscience is kind of like this compass to, to kind of help us navigate life. It's supposed to calibrate our direction and lead us on paths of safety. But parents, listen, if you are going to be that voice inside their heads, if you are going to be that voice in their ear or the angel or the devil on their shoulder, what a massive responsibility to speak the best things into the lives of your children, if your voice is what they are going to hear for the rest of their adult life, what a huge, huge, weighty responsibility it is for us to make sure that we speak the best things into the lives of our kids. If you're going to be that compass throughout the rest of their adult life, do you know which way north is? If you are the one that they're going to look to, if you're the one they're going to call, if you're the one they're going to email and ask for guidance, are you able to guide them? What are you doing to prepare yourself to be that guide? We've been given the position of being a parent through human biology, right? But are you being intentional in preparing yourself to be the best person for the job? We've been given that position. as that, that's, a, that's a good, I should have made a slide for that one. Maybe I did later. You've been given the position of being a parent through biology, but are you preparing yourself? Are you preparing yourself to be the best person to fill that position because your kids are going to spend a great deal of their time in their early independence either trying to drown out your voice or asking themselves what you would do or what you would think in that situation. So as Christian parents, As people of faith, I want to add the kind of overarching truth that ties together all that you say and all that you teach them. As you consider what to teach them about about finances and values and and family and respect and compassion and love and and responsibility and integrity. In a Christian home, all of these things find their root in the obedience to Jesus' teaching that comes... Because we trust that what Jesus tells us about life is true and best for us. This is what it means to be a person of faith. To be a person of faith means that you have put your complete trust in Jesus Christ as being the truth about life and the best best source on how to move forward in life. We say this a lot at City Grace, and we didn't come up with this, but we think it's brilliant. Not only will Jesus make your life better, but Jesus will make you better at life. We just believe that he holds all truth. He's a fountain of all wisdom. So are you as a person of faith, are you taking his sayings into yourself? Do you trust that they are true and what is best? And are you then obeying what he said to live out the best version of your life and find what God or what the Bible calls blessings? So your voice and your values are ultimately going to influence their faith and their trust in Jesus. What you teach them about finances, what you teach them about integrity and and values and family, all of it has to lead back to Jesus. All of it needs to be breadcrumbs to lead back to the ultimate source of our faith, which is Jesus. And that's how they begin to see the connectedness of all of these life issues, just regular life issues, to the whole idea of being a person of faith, and and as I was studying this role of the voice or the conscience, you know, I came across something I think is it's significant in the writings of, of a man named Paul, who wrote most of what we call the New Testament. Um, Paul is a very interesting character. Paul shows up on the scene actually not liking Christians. He doesn't show up on the scene as a Christian. He shows up on on the scene hating Christians. And then something happened in Paul's life that made Paul become a Christian. And what that was is that he saw, he met. Arisen Jesus after the resurrection, and, and it just completely changed Paul's life. He had had Christians arrested before, put to death before, and after that conversion, Paul became one of the most prolific Christian church starters and writers that, we, that, that history has told us has ever existed. And, and Paul is writing to a young man um, named Timothy, and, and throughout his writings, he's, he's mentioned this idea of conscience over 20 times. But this one particular passage where he wrote a letter to a young man named Timothy uh, just really stood out to me, and so I want to share it today. Just a couple of quick verses. Paul never married. Paul uh, never had children on his, uh, on, uh, of his own, which is a good thing if you're an unmarried Christian leader, um, but he had met a family in a city called Lystra, and the mother the, in this family was Jewish, um, and the father was a, a non-Jewish man, and the mother believed in Jesus. The father, it seems, did not believe in Jesus, but they had this son named Timothy. And Timothy had an incredible reputation among the other believers in his mom's church. And and Paul saw Timothy's love for the fellow believers. Paul recruited Timothy for ministry. And and Timothy just went all in. Timothy loved the people of faith around him. Timothy loved belonging to that family of faith. And so Paul, seeing his attitude of servanthood in Timothy and and the love that just looked a lot like Jesus' love, Paul actually installed Timothy as the pastor of a church in a city called Ephesus, and and under Timothy, history seems to tell us that that church could have grown as large as 80 to 100,000 believers. It was a huge, massive church. Um, John actually went there to... History, we believe, tells us that John went there to to kind of retire and, and ended up writing his letters from there. John cared for Mary, the mother of Jesus, so it's possible that Mary... Had Timothy as her pastor there in Ephesus. But before all of that, during kind of the building phase and the growing years, Paul writes Timothy a couple of letters. And, and, and God, through history and archaeology, has kind of preserved these letters for us. And it's found in your Bible as 1st and 2nd Timothy. But Paul says something so striking about conscience and faith and how they are linked and how they are tied together that I want to share it with us today, especially as we look. Ahead to being the godly conscience, the voice of godly conscience in the lives of our children. From the New Living Translation, Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier, may they help you fight well In the Lord's battle. So, first of all, Timothy, you're like a son to me. And as a pastor, you're gonna be leading people to kind of battle with evil, battle with this dark thing inside themselves, evil in the world in general, evil in the world around them, evil in the world that will try and well up within them. But I want to give you some help so that you can be a help in their fight. Here's a little strategy. What Paul is telling him is, I want to be the voice in your head. And at first, he tells him something that just seems so elementary and so simple. Cling to your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing about this word faith. This word faith was not just mental, because a lot of times in Christian circles nowadays, we just think the word faith means like, well, do you mentally believe something? Do you mentally believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? But when the the New Testament writers are talking about the idea of faith, they almost seem to talk more about what we would call trust. Anybody ever heard of a trust fall? Anybody ever been silly enough to try a trust fall? Come on, raise your hand high. That's right. There's a few silly people. I kind of shot myself in the foot with that one. Just like to stand there and you kind of like close your eyes and you put your arms right here and they usually do this in corporate environments, right? Your fellow coworkers get behind you. They say, just close your eyes and just fall, right? You're supposed to just fall back and they're supposed to catch you. Anybody seen the video of the young girls doing it? And they said, okay, just fall. And she falls forward, (laughs) She has trust issues now. <laughs> but but th- this is what they're talking about. Like just fall back into Jesus. Well, I'm not sure how to navigate this circumstance. I'm not sure what to do in this situation or with this relationship. Well, just have faith in Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. Trust in what He has to say. And Paul is telling Timothy: look, first thing, cling to your faith. Wrap both arms around it. Hold on tight. Trust Him for forgiveness and salvation and wisdom and hope. Yes, all of those things. But more than that, in every facet of life, cling, cling to your faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul's telling Timothy, there were some things spoken over you, some destiny and some purpose attached to your existence. Hold on to those things. And parents, like Paul, this is the first order of importance for us as parents. We need to give our children handles for their faith. You need to make it easy for your kids to hold on to their faith, which means just like Paul had done with Timothy in verse 18, you need to speak purpose into your children. You need to speak a why into their existence. Hello? You need to tell them, hey, listen, baby, you may have been mommy and daddy's little accident, but you were not God's. God never made anybody by accident. God has not spoken an oops over anyone or anything. Your life has meaning, your days. Your days, your makeup, your character, your nature, your experience, your pain, your joys, your highs, your lows, everything about you, God has specifically designed for a specific purpose. You have meaning. You have worth. and You have value. And another thing, parents, you need to share your testimony. You need to tell your kids why you belong to a church family. Now, if there's some rough patches to your history, I'd advise saving those for the later years. Like, yeah. Don't want to scare your kids with who you used to be, you know? <laughs> Don't let them think you're the monster under the bed. <laughs> no, no. But you need to tell them why you belong to a church family. And maybe you need to figure that out for yourself. You need to tell them why you pray. You need to tell them why you read the Bible, which assumes that you belong to a church family. You pray and you value the Bible. Hello, this is what we need to do as Christian parents. We have been given this responsibility through biology. I knew I made a slide for this. So prepare yourself for it through spirituality. You've been given this position. You have this responsibility. Discuss faith with your children, which means that you must plan to discuss faith with your children. Can I hear a good amen in the room? Don't just assume that because you go to church, your kids are going to go to church. Don't just you don't assume they're going to learn algebra. No, you send them to school for that, right? You teach them yourself or at least show them YouTube. You know, show them how to work YouTube. Once they get out of that third grade math, it's like YouTube help me please, you know. No, you have a plan. There is a structure in place. The same thing has to happen for your kids' faith. You have to be intentional about what you give your kids to think and believe. This church knows. I've been so weighted down by this over the last few years. I feel this is part of who God has called me to be and what God has called me to be just because in our society there's been this attack of so-called intellect and reason and this this false battle between science and faith as if the two... Can't coexist. It's just not true. And and it's 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 just striking and saddening and, and, and heavy to me. I mean, they're doing studies on the next generation of Christians coming up, and so many of the, the next generation of Christians coming up don't even embrace a biblical worldview. And too often, we just assume that our kids are going to end up okay because we somehow think that we are okay enough. And then we send them to an environment where they spend 40 hours a week in the presence of people who teach them that there is no God, we send them to youth night for 1 hour each week and then we think that everything's going to be okay. That's not the way it works. You can't do that. You need to give your kids handle for their faith. We have to give them something to cling to. I I'm 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 weighted down. You know, you're reading the Old Testament about Israel. And Israel was just in this, the, the nation of Israel as a people were just in this constant cycle of being good with God, being bad with God, being good with God, bad with God. And it seems like every single time that they would drift into that bad, you know, cycle there, it, what would, it would start out with this, this phrase that's over and over again, you know, kind of mentioned in the Old Testament that there arose a generation who knew not the Lord. And we think, wow, that, that's a horrible generation. Those are some terrible people, you know, but who raised those people? Who are the parents, the fathers and the mothers of that generation? Hello, Christian parents. If you don't give your kids a handle on their faith, who will? And can I say this? It is not your youth leader's job. It is not the Sunday school teacher the kid's experience job to give your kids a handle on their faith. That's your job. You've been given a responsibility through biology, so prepare yourself for it through your spirituality. You have to give your kids a handle on their faith. So cling to your faith, Paul tells Timothy. And after that, keep your conscience clear. And I want to say this, if you're planning or in your planning to discuss faith and right and wrong and and consequences and discipline with your kids, can I tell you this? Make it easy for your kids to confess. Hello, your kids won't tell you the truth because they're scared of what's going to happen. When your kids tell the truth, celebrate that. Give incentive for confession. Teach them about motives and heart. Teach them about consequences, but then create this huge space for them to ask for and find forgiveness for telling the truth. And then when they tell the truth, celebrate that. Like go buy a birthday cake when they tell the truth. I don't care. It doesn't matter. And then tell them they can only have that much. And when you send them to bed, you get the rest. Like, It's a win-win situation. It's a win-win-win-win-win situation. It just depends on how big the cake is, right? When your kids come clean, praise them. Reward them. Throw apart. You want to teach your kids to seek restoration. You want to teach your kids to seek reconciliation. So celebrate it. It should be a mirror. It should be a little metaphor of their eventual conversion experience that, yes, you are a sinner. One day you're going to realize it on your own. But when you come to God, there is a celebration in heaven over the sinners that repent. So seek out restoration. Seek forgiveness. Seek reconciliation. Make it full of joy. Make getting rid of guilt like the greatest experience in their young lives. Model that for them. And they will experience it as they grow up into adulthood. And and, and you just being brought into peace with the Heavenly Father, with our Heavenly Father. It's the greatest, it's one of the greatest experiences of our life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That day when you came to the front, or maybe it was in your car, your home, or a closet or whatever, but that day when just you know, for some reason, like faith clicked. Like you know, you you, you kind of believed. You went to church. You did it, but just one day, like, mm, God, I need to come to you. I need to tell you about some things because I want different. I want something different than what I've had. And I've heard that you forgive and I've heard that you give new beginnings. Do you remember that day when you prayed and you felt God take the weight of your sin off of you? Do you remember what it felt like to ask for forgiveness? And it was, you'd asked for forgiveness before, but then there was that one time you asked for forgiveness and it was like, you felt it lift off of you. It's the greatest feeling in the world to know that your past has been erased, to know that there was a new beginning between you and the Father. So model that for them. Cultivate that in your kids. Model conversion with your children. Teach them to want it and not to run from it. Teach your sons and your daughters to keep their conscience clear and clean because that voice inside them is a gift from God. Our conscience is like the nerve endings in our fingertips. And when you touch a hot stove or your you know, you, you, you nerve endings scream out to your brain to jerk your hand back, you want that conscience functioning in their lives. It teaches us to be human as God created us to be human. It teaches us to live in, in harmony and, and in peace with the other humans around us. Conscience is the gift that drives us toward reconciliation with God and with the other people in our lives. So parents, be intentional about nurturing your children's conscience. Make a plan about it. Make a plan for it. How are you going to confront wrongs? You need to talk this out as parents. How are you going to handle disobedience? How are you going to handle consequences? How are you going to encourage them to confess and live with a clean conscience? And Paul goes on in talking to Timothy, and he says, For some people, you keep your conscience clear, because some people have deliberately violated their consciences. In other words, your conscience is telling you, you need to make this right, and you get to the point where you don't want to make it right anymore, where you don't even listen to that voice. You don't even try to make it right anymore. You're not wrestling with sin. You've surrendered willfully and gladfully to the sin that is in your life deliberately violating your conscience, okay with leaving things wrong. After a while, you become numb to your conscience. Paul talks in another letter to Timothy about people who have done this. It says they have, they have, gone, they have moved on past feeling. They don't feel that guilt anymore. They don't feel that wrong anymore. They're no longer bothered by that little voice, content to live apart from God. No feeling a need for restoration or healing. No feeling a need for God. And when conscience is deliberately violated, as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Now, this we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about small groups. This is a huge point. This one I, I don't know. I just learned this this year. I'm, I'm 43. I thought I knew everything, but I don't. And what turns out when you violate your conscience, it actually breaks down your faith. You want to believe in God. You want to be a Christian forever. You can't do that and have a violated conscience. There is a connection between conscience and faith. The violations of conscience lead to an undermining of faith. The connection's not so obvious, but Paul is pointing it out, that when you consistently and continually and without regard to conscience do things that violate that conscience, it eventually, it leads you to a place where you start saying, I'm not sure I really believe that anymore. In fact, I'm not sure I ever really believed that. Which means that our faith endures primarily as a result of enduring integrity. This is a huge deal for Christians. Listen, you can't keep violating your conscience and end up with an intact faith. It doesn't work. And Paul said, when you violate your conscience, you are going to end up with a shipwreck in your faith in Jesus Christ. And so for Paul and for us Christians, faith in Jesus is the central issue to life. If you're a parent here today, dedicating your child to God, this should be something that you embrace. If you're a believer parent, there is nothing more important than influencing your kids to be believers in Jesus Christ to be believers that He is the only one that can forgive their sins and fill them with His Spirit and one day create for them the perfect future, the heavenly kingdom future that He has promised to all of us. There is nothing more important than influencing your kids to faith. And if you want to influence your kids to faith, you have to teach them to live with a clear conscience. You can't save them later, but we have a voice with them now. Hello? Hello? You can't redeem them later. That's not your job. But you have a voice of influence now. You can't bring them to faith later. That will be their own choice, maybe between them and the Father one day. But you have a window of time. You have an opportunity to become the voice of conscience in their heart and in their head. So it's not a spiritual helmet. It's not elbow pads or knee pads. right? It's not foolproof. But this is the way God created us with the powerful and terrible and, and wonderful freedom of choice, each of us free to navigate life, each of us the commander of our own vessel, as it were. It's a freedom that your little babies have, and your babies one day will turn into grown adults. Your babies one day may abuse it and run into rocks and reefs and make shipwreck, or your babies one day will stand at a crossroads, stand at a place where they need to make a decision and they can close their eyes and ask themselves in that moment, what would mom do? What would dad do? What would mom say? What would dad say in this moment of that, uh, in that moment of decision in their life? And long after they've left the nest and, and, and in that moment, they can hear your voice and choose to experience the love of God, choose to cherish the perfect expression of love, choose to trust in Jesus Christ to bring that integrity and that truth and that balance and that solid foundation that they need to get through this life safely. But they all have the freedom of choice. Love brings the freedom of choice. We know this about love. Love has to have the freedom of choice. And so your kids, if they're going to love, have to have that freedom for themselves. And you cannot control things for them. And through these few wise words from Paul, God is giving us a key as parents God is giving us a priority as parents, a sort of cause and effect with conscience and faith, and for pastors and for youth leaders and for parents, especially today, who love their kids and want to see them blessed in life, it may be that the greatest gift you could give your children is a godly conscience. This is the greatest gift that you can give your children. God made it this way, that your voice, that my voice would be a guide for these little versions of ourself. The voices of godly parents and youth leaders and kids ministry leaders, they are a gift from God. They're a gift from God. I love, uh, I want to brag, I don't know if Chelsea or Diana are in the room. I think they're probably, oh, Diana's there. Diana, I'm going to brag on you for a little bit. I love what Chelsea and, and Diana are doing in, in leading our kids ministry into this kind of new version of kids ministry where we do lessons like we've always kind of done lessons. You know, you go to Sunday school as a kid, you hear a lesson, right? You eat a snack and you play a little bit and then you go home. We, we still do the lesson. We still have games and all that kind of stuff. But we've, we've kind of made it now to where after the lesson, they actually take the kids into smaller circles and have small group time. And they have the same, we're trying to get it to the point where we have enough volunteers. (laughs) Try and get it to the place where we have enough volunteers, people who love kids. Not people who are just filling time, but people who love kids, that every single kid would have like the same consistent voices in their life when they break into these little small groups. And in little groups with these kids, with these small group leaders are getting a chance now, an opportunity now to discuss the lesson to talk about how last week's lesson kind of maybe lived out or was acted out throughout their week in school to where these small group leaders would get to know not just the kids' names but the kids' friends' names and what they're facing and who teased them and if they're being bullied and these kinds of things so that the lessons that we teach, the Word of God that we teach in those lessons like we've always done are now getting talked through with the kids in these small group circles so the kids can learn how to apply it deeper and better into their life. I, I love that. I love what's going on. We don't just want to throw info at, at these kids. We want to make sure that we are a voice in your child's heart, in your child's life. We want to help you. We want to be a partner with you. And so we're always recruiting small group leaders um, in this new version of, of our kids ministry and our youth ministry. We just love what's going on. And so if that's something that interests you. I didn't have that in my notes, but man, volunteer for that. But you got to love kids. If you hate kids, and work security or something else. We'll just, you know, but nobody wants me back there working with kids. If I was working with the kids, there would be duct tape and lawsuits and they would just not be bad. So they tell me to stand out here and they put a mic in my hand and then that's it and then I go home. But, but when the voices in a kid's life, when the voices in your child's life are calibrated to Jesus, when your voice echoes his voice, when they begin to put their trust, oh man, when your kids begin to put their trust in Jesus because your testimonies Give them the confidence that they can. I'm telling you, there is nothing greater than that. Think of the peace that they're going to have on the inside of this. When the world around them is just going crazy, and doesn't it feel like a world's going crazy? When your voice can be that voice on the inside of them that teaches them that they can trust in Jesus, think of how secure your kids will feel because they know that they are not just serving you as parents, but they are serving the living God, the one that holds all things in His control. Think of how strong their faith will be and and how much they'll trust in Jesus for wisdom and understanding and salvation and purpose and meaning. I can't even imagine parents, the joy that we as parents are going to have one day standing before God with our families gathered around us because we calibrated our voices to the Word of God and through our influence as parents, through our voices as parents, because really we have nothing else. We can't control it. We can't control it. You can't control them. Control over your kids is an illusion. But imagine that day Knowing that we stand before God and because we calibrated our voice to the word of God through our influence and through our voice, we played that vital role in navigating our kids or helping our kids rather navigate the twists and turns of life to stand before him in peace one day. Nothing's guaranteed. Your kids are always going to have the freedom to walk away. But with God's help, that doesn't have to be the final word. There is restoration. There is hope for all of our kids, and your voice will be an influence in their restoration if you can give them the gift of a godly conscience. Amen. Musicians, if you can come on up this morning. Um, At this time, we want to go ahead and invite all of the families to come on up um, and just kind of arrange yourself around the front, across the front. Jessica and Zach with Emberly and and, and Grandma and Grandpa, if you all would like to be here. uh, Rochelle and and Neo, if you'd like to come on up, April and Ed, if you'd bring Ezra on up, Austin and Amber with Aiden, Rose and Denison with Elijah, Ashley and Israel with Genevieve. Come on up, find some room across the front. And church family, you can stay seated for just a moment. Um, I'm going to give them a challenge and then we're going to pray together and I'll have you stand when we pray. Five strips. Say it again. Jesus. If those elders of the church that I had talked to earlier, if you could come and join these families as well, Jason with Jessica and Zach, Brother James with Rochelle and Neo, Scott, if you could come up with April and Ed, Calvin, if you could be with Austin and Amber, Um, I'll be with Rose and Dennison this morning and. Um, Francisco and Dahlia, if you can come with Ashley and Israel today. But as they're coming, I want to challenge, first of all, our church family, that with these families and these children that you see here and see in our church and see in our kids' ministry down through the years, I want to challenge you, City Grace family, that you love them like they're your own kids, that you care for them, that you welcome them into your homes, that you support your youth group, you support the kids' ministry, you support small groups. We are a church of disciple-makers, hello, and that starts with relationships, Starts in our homes, starts with reaching out and sharing meals and sharing time together. But I want to challenge also grandparents and aunts and uncles that are here today, cousins that are here, that you grandparents and family and aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody else, that you love these babies and that you pray for these babies every day. Hello. That was kind of a weak amen from everybody around the front. How about once a week? We go with once a week? Okay, okay, we've got more amens on once a week, like every day? Like... But also that you would pray for yourself. Hello. That you would pray for yourself, that you would be a voice that would lead to wisdom into Jesus and not a voice that would distract or confuse in their lives. That you would support these parents in discipline and in celebration. That you would fill these lives with so much love and light that hate and darkness can't even get close to them. I challenge these families that are here this morning. Parents, I challenge you this morning to make faith in Jesus Christ the most important thing in your lives. To make faith in Jesus Christ, trust in Jesus Christ, the most important thing in your homes. Parents, if you don't set that priority, nobody else is going to. You can't just assume that it's going to happen. It will not happen on its own, they will not drift into a relationship with God. You have to be intentional about this. Teach them why they should love Jesus. And if you're not sure yourself, I challenge you to equip yourself, to train yourself to learn about faith and about living in relationship with God in a way that you can explain to your children. Put handles on your kids' faith. Help them cling to their faith in Jesus. Be an example to them in love and devotion. Be an example to them in prayer. Your youth group leaders, your kids' ministry leaders are here to partner with you, but they cannot do what God has called you to do. It is your job to teach your kids to pray and to read their Bibles. Your children should not learn to pray at church but at home. So I challenge you again, and if you're not sure how to, listen, just come to me. Talk to me. Talk to your youth leader. Talk to your kids' ministry leader. We have incredible resources for them, and I'd love to see all of us take advantage of that. Um, But teach these children obedience and respect. Bring them often into the presence of God in worship. And, you know, that's something that we do here at City Grace that I'm so proud of and I'm struggling with as we grow you know, we have it now to where everybody's together for worship, and then we have that awkward pause in the middle of service where the kids go out. And there's on, you know, and I get asked sometimes like, Jared, wouldn't it just be easier to send the kids off first? It would, but I don't know. There's just something about worshiping with our kids. I, I I like that. So I don't know. We'll see. Oh well. Some hold on note for me to think about later. But but bring your kids often into the presence of God. Bring your kids often into a space of worship. Let them see you with your hands raised. Let them see you with your eyes closed. Let them see you clap and sing and be happy. Be happy in the presence of Jesus. Church should be the happiest, happiest day of the week. Hello, Sunday should be the happiest day of the week in your home. Now that's really a chore, right? Because we all know we're like yelling at everybody Sunday morning, like, you know, 935, like, get in the car! All right, so teach them charity. Hello, teach your kids charity. You know what you should do this Christmas? This Christmas, you should. (laughs) It's gonna sound mean. (laughs) One toy. You tell your kids out of all their lists that they ask for, and they give you their list of what they want for Christmas, you tell them they have to pick one toy, and that toy they're going to give away to somebody else, to another child. You need to start teaching your kids young charity and giving to people around them. Teach them compassion, teach them to serve others show, in other words, show them Jesus. Show them Jesus. Their picture, their idea of Jesus is going to be seen in you. Be the voice inside that always, always points to Jesus. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.